Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Santa Barbara Police Department Police Chief Barney Malekian. And Barney is a very decorated uh, law enforcement uh, individual, very well respected, both locally and around the country. So it's really an honor to be able to talk to him today about so many of the important issues that we're facing here in Santa Barbara as it relates to to, to law enforcement. And I want to just thank you right here at the beginning of Chief Malekian. Thanks for being on the show. How are you today? I'm well, and thank you. And thank you for having me. I, I'm always, uh, I'm always hesitant when we start talking about my lengthy career because it calls attention to just how old I actually am. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, um, I, I appreciate you taking some time here. I want to talk to you about a few things related to law enforcement and just social justice issues here in Santa Barbara. You obviously uh, are paying very close attention to what's happening with the Community Formation Commission. And so I thought we would start there because we've had some time now where the group has had some meetings. And I wanted to sort of get an, uh, kind of a, a review, an update, just sort of get your thoughts on where this process is at and where does the police chief stand on this process of creating this commission, which I guess ultimately would create a civilian review system is the term they're using. So what's going on, Barney, with um, with this commission? What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I've been struck. I've attended. I, I very deliberately stayed away from the first uh, about six weeks of their meetings because I, I was very sensitive to the idea that the the police department would be trying to put its thumb on an oversight process or the development of it. Uh, and, and then um, once I, and I, then I, but I've attended every meeting, uh, every meeting since then. And I've been struck on, on balance. I think one of the things they did, they brought in uh, NACOL, which is the National Association for Civilian Oversight of Law Enforcement. They could not have found a better consultant and, and maybe I need to pause for a second and, and be very clear that I and, and the police department in general support the concept of civilian oversight. I'm not, I'm not um, there's, no, there's no objection to it. And over the course of my career, I've been involved in, in the uh, establishment of, of oversight bodies and, and been involved with them. And I've been struck by the, by the groups. Um, they're working very hard. They're very dedicated people. Uh, and uh, they're, uh, they're, they're clearly trying to come up with what they view as the best, uh, the best system for Santa Barbara. The only, the only thing I've tried to convey to them on a fairly regular basis is that as you do this, remember, I mean, this was born out of the tragedy of the murder of George Floyd. Um, but let's remember that, that we're trying to design something for Santa Barbara, not for Minneapolis or not for Chicago or not for South Carolina or not any of the other places where we've seen uh, some of these terrible incidents. Uh, and the second thing is that the, um, any successful oversight process needs to include active collaboration with the police department. In other words, if the, if the police department is categorically not involved either in the design or the operation of, of that body, then it's a purely regulatory function and the law becomes sort of the, the, the minimum. You, you give the minimum and not much more. 
and I think if, on the other hand, if if the police department is is a participant and the chief is committed to you know their involvement in the process, I think it it serves everyone's interest. And lastly, and possibly most importantly, is as we have these discussions, I think it's important to remember that whatever we're talking about in terms of, of changing criminal justice or reimagining policing or whatever term you want to use is to not denigrate the men and women who do the work uh, because they are, they, they are faced with an incredibly complex and difficult task. And one of the challenges I think of the last year and a half has been the, the narrative that policing and by extension, the people who practice it are somehow bad. So those are my, but I think, you know, I think they're, they're making good progress, I, but I think, I, I think remembering those three things is going to be a critical piece of their ultimate success. So talk a little bit about why it's important for law enforcement to at least be in conversations when having this discussion. Another perspective might be, how can we create a system that objectively reviews future complaints or issues within a department if you have somebody who may have a, a conflict of interest you know either a direct or emotional one uh, somebody who maybe has a, a little bit of a, a perspective that is not totally an outsider one so can you talk about how you reconcile those two yeah that's a great question and and the and and are you referring to once the commission is established or now I'm talking about now, you know, because now they're in the talks of, you know, what what would this system look like, okay? Right. And, and they have hired the consultant, and, and now they're 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 going through this process. And if law enforcement um, is is part of the conversation now, to what extent should it be? Should there be somebody in law enforcement on the final board? And and talk to me about what your perspective is on those. I think for the purposes of the process of now, and there's there's nobody in law enforcement, and certainly myself or anybody from the department or the POA for that matter, who who attends these meetings, we we don't vote. We you know we're we're really there just if they ask us questions or, or want, a, want a perspective on something. I think when the final commission is created, I would agree that the commission should probably exclude anyone who worked for the Santa Barbara Police Department, because you're trying to do oversight for that. But I, I do think the, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of aspects of policing, whether it's in the area of, of tactics or perspective or training or how things go, that many, you know, many people don't have direct knowledge of, and it doesn't hurt to have that perspective on the board. I, I would certainly not, uh, it wouldn't be meaningful oversight if you've got a seven member body. I just made that number up. If, yeah. if, you, if you have a seven member body and six of them were former cops, that probably wouldn't be good. <laughs> but, but, if, but if one of them was, uh, and there are a lot of people and there are a lot of retired law enforcement in this town, who some of whom were quite well known nationally, yeah. uh, who I think would make great additions to, um, to the board. And I think that perspective would be important. So let's talk a little bit about the the core issue. Obviously, you mentioned the homicide, the murder of, of George Floyd. All right, there was a conviction. Everybody universally agrees, hopefully, that uh, that was uh, an atrocity. He, he went to prison as he should have. 
he got he was convicted. Okay, we we agree that was not a good example of law enforcement. Um, but then we have all these other differences. Okay, people say that was there. It's different here. Most law enforcement is this, not that. But then you have a perspective of well, just because it hasn't happened here in Santa Barbara right. doesn't mean it couldn't happen. What is your perception of the Santa Barbara Police Department right now in terms of, of things like implicit bias and, and how, do, how, do, how do they approach the community in ways that are not singling out certain types of people? You know, the, 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 re, the fact of the matter is with regards to Santa, if one of the tenants of the 21st, President's 21st Century Policing Report was each department should adopt a policy or, uh, or a, a statement uh, regarding reverence for life with an emphasis on de-escalation, with an emphasis on, uh, on empathy and time and distance and those things. And what's, what's fascinating to me in a very positive way is how often the police department here in Santa Barbara does that in ways I've not seen in other places. And and I, I certainly am not, I can't take any credit for it, but I think it, I think it runs, I think it runs very deep and it runs very much in the past. If, if you look back at the, um, the way, the way we respond, way this department responds to incidents where lethal force could be used, but hasn't been, I started, I started this job in March the 1st and I, and I have easily, cause I, I, there was an incident right out of the gate when I started where the officers probably would have been justified in using lethal force, didn't. And I started sort of collecting these. And I've got at least 10. Mm -hmm. uh, most recently, there was a guy at Haley, and, and I believe it was Santa Barbara, and later Anna Caffey was running around with a knife, threatening people with a knife, and he you know, confronted the officers on two separate occasions where they easily could have used lethal force to end this thing and didn't. Um, so that's sort of the, the state of, uh, of, of play at the moment. I think one of the positive things about the, the Community Formation Commission and establishing oversight now is we're not in the middle of, of community anger over a specific incident in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. And so we have an opportunity to design something that will serve everyone's interest, that will provide a place where the community can go and complain if they think that they haven't been well treated. Uh, they can create a place. It's it's a place where, although actually, and I hope we touch on this in a little bit. We we do have a police commission, and and that that's an issue that's going to have to get resolved at some point. But some place where, if there is a controversial incident, the public can be heard, and the and the the chief and the department can be heard, and the issues can be aired out in a you know in in a very public forum. And I think we've got an opportunity to design that, and I'm hopeful that NACL is going to help us do that okay you know there's there's so much talk in in education about teachers reflecting the the student body so in santa barbara county what that means is having latino teachers teach to the majority latino students who mm -hmm. attend public schools what is the diversity like at the santa barbara police department um i don't know if you have specifics but i mean does it reflect the community from your perspective I I believe it does, and I, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have any numbers right in front of me. But um, we have probably one of the highest percentages of female officers anywhere in the state. Yeah. 
and we have a substantial number of Hispanic officers, the majority of whom speak Spanish. Hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, uh, I can, I can feed, get you those numbers another time. I don't have them in front of me right now. I don't want to start guessing at things. <laughs> what sort of implicit bias training are the officers doing and anything related to that in terms of being more uh, understanding and responsive to uh, the community's needs? Everybody in the department has gone through implicit bias training over the last couple of years. That, and that process was underway before the events of the summer of 2020. Hmm. Um, and just recently, we, we started a new program with our most recent class of academy graduates, where we added a, historically, the, the cadets go to the academy 14, 16 weeks. When they're finished, uh, there is a, a four-week block of instruction before they actually start out in the field. So they get, they do all their weapons qualifications again. They get, they get briefed on the city municipal code. Um, the, you know, all kinds of sort of local things for about a month. Well, we added a fifth week to that training and did, uh, we had um, training from uh, community members on the African-American community. We had, we had a meeting with the uh, representatives of the Hispanic community. We took them around to um, uh, community-based organizations. There's a program that started by Lieutenant Sean Hill uh, called Voices. And the idea is that community members sit down with members of law enforcement and sort of exchange perspectives. I think, I think over the long run, that may be one of the most exciting things coming down the road. But the goal is to ultimately have the entire department participate in, in the Voices program and probably to expand that week of community connection. Uh, because one of the realities of today, this department, and we're not unique, uh, although it's a little bit more aggravated here, is very few of the officers live in Santa Barbara. Mm. Uh, they, they commute, um, some of them substantial distances, and um, so building that community connection gets to be a little bit more challenging. Is that a factor of the cost of living or is it that sometimes law enforcement wants to be separate from where they go shopping or buy groceries because they don't want to be recognized? What, what would you say that the fact that we don't have a lot of them living here is attributed to? I think the biggest thing is the cost of living. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I mean, I think there's a little bit of the, of, of the other, although yeah. that's, far less pronounced here than it was in Los Angeles County where I spent most of my career. Yeah. But I, I know, I know that in a lot of departments, including other departments I've worked in that starting about 15 or 20 years ago, as the cost of living went up and especially, um, uh, especially as officers uh, sort of mature in their career, start families, those kind of things. Uh, they're looking for a place that's more affordable and very often, uh, particularly in Santa Barbara, that's just not the case anymore. So the people who I, I've still got, I think about 20%, only 20% of the sworn personnel live on the South coast of, of the County. Mm -hmm. um, so it should be noted that law enforcement has a lot of support, especially in Santa Barbara. And I want to talk about, you know, the election, you know, in a second here, but I was hoping you wouldn't. 
but yeah, we're going to have to go there. But, you know, it should be noted, law enforcement has a lot of support. And there are people who are, are uh, observing the Community Formation Commission conversation, the Civilian Review Board. And they sort of feel as though, hey, we got a good police department here in Santa Barbara. And, 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 and it may be too much. It may be a bit of reaction that was not necessarily uh, needed locally. Uh, that's a perspective that a lot of people have. Can you talk about uh, what it's like for law enforcement to do their job these days? Um, I, I don't want to sound like Pollyanna, like, oh, law enforcement are, you know, heroes every day and we need to respect everything they do. But I mean, I realize it's more complicated than that, but I do want to sort of have you acknowledge that it must be hard, right? Because they know everybody's watching. They know there are cell phones everywhere. Um, they have to be... Uh, they have to work differently than they used to. And um, are we seeing softer approaches to crime because of this environment that we're in now where law enforcement is under such a microscope? What's it like to be a law enforcement officer right now? I'm, I've said on more than one occasion publicly and privately that I think right now that being a young police officer working the street is more challenging than it's ever been. Not because, not because the criminal behavior has changed, not because of any of those things, but because the, the degree of public skepticism to some degree and the proliferation, as you point out, of cell phones and videos. And, and uh, I don't know of any other, uh, I don't know of any other profession that is a recorded as much as law enforcement is right now. And nor do I think that they'd like it very much. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it is, so it is difficult. And I think the, 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 the underlying narrative, particularly, particularly after last year, is a, is a certain level of anxiety on the part of officers that, well, what happens if I do get involved in a deadly force incident? What's gonna happen to me? What's gonna happen to my career? What's gonna happen to my family's welfare? Those are, those are real things. Um, that's not made up stuff. Uh, and um, I think that, you know, without getting into some specific cases, the, the, work, that, the work that police officers do uh, is, is extraordinarily complex. And the decisions that get made get made very often in a very short period of time. Now, I've been doing this next April will be 49 years. I figured that out the other day. And I'm not naive about the challenges of law enforcement. I'm not naive or ignorant of the history of the relationship of law enforcement and communities of color over the years. I'm, I'm, I'm all on that. But the changes that have occurred in this profession in my 49 years are, are unbelievable. And, and, and the, the business that I came into, I wouldn't recognize what the business is today. Mm -hmm. And and so I think I just think it's important to remember that because it isn't and you you touched you touched on it. it. This issue about going into active shooters or the very heroic stuff, the officers are going to do that. They're always going to do that. That's but that's not what keeps you coming back to work every day. Mm -hmm. It's this day to day interaction with people. And and right now it's challenging. Yeah. Do you think with all of the the systems that are in place, um, all of the knowledge, all of the training, the psychological evaluations, uh, the awareness in 2021, 
can somebody become a police officer in Santa Barbara who is a racist or who is a somebody who who still holds these values that they may have been taught, you know, or their parents were taught where they, they believe that there's uh, a certain type of person who's more prone to committing crime than others. Uh, you know, that's the stereotype, right? Like who goes into law enforcement? Okay. It's people who want to shoot a gun or people who have this sort of attitude that they want to keep order as they see it. Can somebody like that become a police officer in 2021 with all the systems that are in place? You know, maybe, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe they could, maybe they could get through. It wouldn't happen very often, but more, more importantly, they wouldn't last very long. Mm. You, you might be able, you might be able to fake your way through the hiring process. You could not fake your way through the academy and the, and the, uh, and the training process. And, and that's, I think one of the challenges of American law enforcement is that each department has, has a culture and some of that is regional. I mean, it's a little easier to parse out here, but when I, when I was in LA County, there's 45 police departments in LA County. I, I, worked in, I worked in Pasadena and we were surrounded by seven, we shared borders with seven different law enforcement agencies. So each department has to answer that question for itself. But I think, I think on balance, it would be extraordinarily difficult uh, for somebody to last any length of time that held those attitudes. Okay. All right. Let me ask you some politics questions. And, you know, you no, uh, let's you keep talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. We'll get back to that, but uh, you know, <laughs> let's see. Uh, you're, you have freedom here because you, this is your last police chief job. Yeah. You've already said it's, you know, not going to last forever. You're going to stick around a little bit longer, as I understand it. But, uh, you know, you can say what you want, okay? You're not Damn, really worried true. about the city administrator coming after you or anything. But um, we've had this change. We just had this election, and uh, we have a new mayor. And uh, Mayor Kathy Murillo was uh, not somebody who was supported by the Police Officers Association. They were very public about that. Um, Randy Rouse is a former council member, and uh, he's going to come back as mayor. Uh, what what does this mean for law enforcement? Anything at all? Are we going to see any sort of shift? Uh, is it better to have somebody in charge who the police officers respect? Uh, talk about that. You know, I don't think, I don't think on, I mean, first of all, interest of full disclosure, I've known Randy Rouse since almost since I moved to town, okay. and, which was nine years ago. Uh -huh. um, I, I don't think in terms of day-to-day -day operations or in terms of day-to-day -day policy, the mayor is not going to influence that. Yeah. What, I, what I hope the mayor does influence is, is, is bringing the elected body in a more, together in a more focused and cohesive way about, about what they're doing. Um, and I'm not talking about any particular issues, um, but I, I think what the biggest... The one thing, particularly for people who are new to elected office that I think sometimes they forget is that their words matter. And, and some of the words that, that were uttered last summer were very damaging. Uh, and in terms of, uh, and, and people, I understood their concerns, but it, that goes back to my issue about not denigrating the men and women who do the work, even as you advocate for change in the system. There's been, I think, the council, the current council, even uh, not 
notwithstanding the change in the mayor's office, has been supportive of the police department over the last year. Um, I, you know, I, I would never make the case that the, 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 the city is not supporting its police department in terms of resources and, and those things, because they are. But I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll get um, uh, maybe a little bit more collegial atmosphere and therefore a little bit more clarity on what the, what the overarching philosophy is for the city. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying the law enforcement officers, they hear what happens on Tuesday evenings and afternoons and it matters to them. Um, if they feel supported or not in a job that is already very difficult to pursue on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Um, what are the, the, the real issues of, of crime in Santa Barbara? What, what do law enforcement officers have to deal with on the ground? Uh, is it, is, you know, I remember in the last sort of update that the, the police department gave to the city council, but, you know, so property crimes, burglary, what are some of the issues that are real to this community that we've got to address? The biggest, without, without question, the, the major issue facing this department on a day-to-day basis is the issue of homelessness and dealing with the mentally ill. Hmm. And when we go back to where we started about use of force and all those kind of things, Dealing, dealing with mentally ill people on a daily basis on the street in an uncontrolled environment is extraordinarily challenging. And I, I sit, I sit my, primarily I work during the day, and I, but I have my radio on most of the time. And it's one call after another about this disturbance or that disturbance at, at this business or that business. And every one of those is a potential conflict. When you move away from that, it's, and I'm, I'm, I should knock on wood when I say this, because the North County departments, particularly Lompoc and Santa Maria, have experienced a horrific uptick in shootings and attempted homicides, and we have not. Uh, we had the three murders at the beginning of the year. Uh, we solved those uh, and arrested people pretty quickly. Um, the department did, you know, did a good job on that. Uh, but our violent crime uh, in crimes against person is is down from certainly from last year. Uh, I don't, again, I think I think it was probably around ten or eleven percent less than was last year. Property crime, on the other hand, is up. Yeah. Uh, burglaries are up. Um, thefts from vehicles are up, and bicycle thefts are almost epi- ep- epidemic. And oh, okay. And that and that um, those are those are the kind of crimes that we. Re- re- you know, require a little bit more, uh, they can be actually be dealt with if you have the staffing to deal with them, to put out stakeout teams and, and, and undercover operations and those things. Uh, it's a little, or, or, or to just beef up your patrol presence so that there's this uniform visibility in certain areas, which we've tried to do, but the staffing is a challenge. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, let's go back to the first thing you said, homelessness. Uh, what are the challenges there? Uh, business owners, property owners, particularly, we hear about this in the downtown area, um, that that they have to deal with the same sort of people who are blocking access to their buildings or making it uncomfortable for people to uh, to patronize their businesses or shop. Uh, law enforcement can't arrest, uh, go arrest homeless. You know, there's some some candidates who who may have wanted to do that during the election, but um, you can't do that, right? That for one, our jails can't accommodate that. Plus, I don't think it's legal for somebody to, 
to be out in public if there's no place else for them to go. So what is the law enforcement strategy, conversations, working with social workers? How, do, how does law enforcement deal with that? Well, I, I push back a little bit. Yeah. It, you can't arrest somebody for being homeless, yeah. but, but you can arrest somebody for specific behaviors that violate the law. Yeah. And, and, and we have, but the, the challenge with that was really compounded by the zero bail uh, program that came in with COVID that basically listed a whole long list of offenses that said, we're going to write tickets for, because they want to get people out of the jail because of the whole threat of the COVID outbreak. Um, and so uh, we've, we've written a lot of citations to people. We've moved people along. Uh, I th- we're, we, I did when I, when I first came here, I did, I did beef up presence on State Street. And in spite of the staffing shortages, I have kept the bicycle team intact and I have kept the, uh, uh, the gang enforcement team intact mm-hmm. uh, because I think those are, those are two significant crime and policy issues that need to be, to be addressed. I, we could, you know, we could start an uptick in the number of arrests and we, we probably will. Uh, I'm, I don't know where the I don't know where the Rose Garden situation is going to end up, but the Rose Garden, the fact that it was there, uh, helped deal with the Boise decision, which said you couldn't arrest people or you couldn't move them along if you didn't have any place to to, to move them along to. Well, now right now we do. I think there. I don't know where that's you know that's going to end up, uh, but this is a. And this I will jump into. You know, I I, I think there's a. I think a lot of people believe this is strictly a housing issue, and I would argue that it's not. That's a piece of it, but it is a it is a mental health and um, substance abuse treatment shortage uh, problem, and that's what that's that's really what's driving this. I, I can tell you, to show you how long this has been going around in the, in the late 1980s. I was a brand new lieutenant in Santa Monica, which was ground zero for the homeless. In the back then, sure. in LA County, and uh, they sent us to Santa Barbara to study how to deal with the homeless because that Santa Barbara was on the cutting edge of of, uh, of that. And fast forward 35 years when uh, my wife and I moved here, uh, and I was on the fire and police commission uh, for about a year until I went to work for the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And I found out Santa Barbara police was sending people to Santa Monica to study <laughs> how to deal with the homeless because they were on the cutting edge of how to deal with it, yeah. and that. Uh, while there are, are different tactics and things that can, can be employed, uh, in truth, we need to get people. I, this is to me is one of the great social failures of the 20th and 21st century. I mean, we, we have to get people treatment and access to treatment. Yeah. Do you, do you see any uh, salute? I mean, you're talking about 20, 29 years ago. I mean, it's just something we got to live with, do you think? I mean, this is. No, I think, you know? I think people are. I, I think what wiser minds are going to prevail on this. I mean, it, I testified in front of Congress on this issue in 2001. Uh, and, uh, you know, at that time, you don't hear it so much anymore, but at that time there was a, a, a prevailing argument that people had the right to be homeless, uh, that you should leave them alone. They could be homeless if they wanted to be. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and I, I think I said it at the time that what you're talking about is you have the right then to die on the street. And, and, the, and the impact of it didn't hit me as much in California, where the weather's nice, 
as it did when I went back to Washington, D.C. and saw people, you know, sandwiched in between piles of blankets, you know, in the in the freezing cold in February. Um, it's just nuts. You mentioned the Rose Garden Inn. Hopefully it's not too much of a curveball here, but um, can you offer me a comment on whether that was a success or not? I know um, it was the it was the most interesting thing. The first council report, I think it might have been in September, about the status of the Rose Garden Inn, or, or I guess it would have been October. It was great, right? It was positive. Things are going well. That same day, before the meeting at two, I went there. <laughs> there were about five law enforcement cars parked in the parking lot. Uh, there's a guy out front with a sign who's very, I guess, a well-known homeless individual. Um, someone threw a rock at him, he alleged. He had this mark on his ribs. Uh, it did not look like a, a solution um, at, in that moment that I was there. Uh, and then we hear, of course, you know, Eric Friedman and such talking, council member Eric Friedman talking about some of the impacts in his neighborhood and, and that sort of thing. Uh, what is your take on the Rose Garden Inn situation? Was this was was it a success? I think I think the idea was a good one. I mean, it did it did help us mitigate some of the Boise issues. It did get some people off the street. The and, and it did get some people into services. I, they have the numbers. I don't. So I think I think from that perspective, it's been good. I think the problem is. And I think the city net and others will acknowledge it. The challenge is getting is getting then that next level. Mm-hmm. You, you come to the Rose Garden, you, you get stabilized, you get access to services, but you have to. There has to be some transitional housing to go to. There has to be some place to go to. And I think that's the gap. Mm-hmm. The I believe they had fifty beds, thirty five rooms and fifty beds, and and they filled that up pretty fast. Um, and there was some mention at one of those council meetings because I actually got personally involved with this one woman that was hanging out on Upper State. And uh, uh, I was able to talk her into going to the Rose Garden. And by all accounts, it worked out great. You know, mm-hmm. she went she went to the Rose Garden. She accepted services. She was all doing this. And then they, they found her some transitional housing, but it was in Lompoc. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to go to Lompoc. Yeah. And there's, there's a voluntary sort of element to this. So... I think, and, and, I, and the Rose Garden itself, uh, crime is actually lower than it was before the project started. We had more calls for service at the Rose Garden before it was this current <laughs> setup than it is now. Right. But the neighborhoods around it, there's no question that they have been negatively impacted by, um, by people who usually fall in two categories. One, people who, who know somebody at the Rose Garden so they come up and you know they want to visit, or they come up to the Rose Garden because they want to get in, and that's mm-hmm. and that's happened too. And and most of the time there's no there's no room. Um, so, and the Rose Garden has been a I would say a qualified success, but in terms of systems changes, I'm I'm not sure what that impact is going to be until we until we can get that next level. Yeah. Okay. Uh- Let's talk about the police, uh, the new police station a little bit. Uh, we heard last summer, how can Santa Barbara be building a new multi-million dollar police station downtown? Um, you know, why, why is the city investing dollars into this when the city should be investing dollars into programs that 
have to do with non-lethal uh, solutions, um, you know, to uh, the problems facing the community. Um, and obviously it's a complex issue because the community for a long time has been wanting to build a police station and law enforcement has wanted it and there hasn't been funding or, you know, I think it was put on a bond measure and it didn't pass. But if you work in that building, it is uh, got a whole host of safety issues. It's not a matter of comfortability anymore. It's a matter of safety Um What's your take on the police station downtown? Um, this is a great spending of money from your perspective. I think it's a fantastic expenditure of, of money. And I don't think it's, I don't think the, uh, the, the idea that the choices between a new police station and, and programs that emphasize less lethal and, uh, and de-escalation, those aren't mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the building, current building is unsafe. Uh, and, and I think, I think most anybody that's been in it knows it is, uh, and it's one of the reasons that dispatch was moved out of there because dispatch was in the basement mm -hmm. and, and it was actually moved, you know, uh, to another location downtown. I also think it, a couple of things. One is that the, the current building besides its safety issues is not, um, it's not particularly welcome. If what you're trying to do is build a, a greater bridge with the community. Uh, the current building was built in the, in the, with the philosophy that was, you know, extant at the time, which, which is, it looks like a fortress. And if you walk in the lobby, it's not particularly welcoming. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's dark and it's crowded. And, and so I think the new, I think the new building was specifically designed to be open to, to be able to have community events and community meetings in certain parts of it. I, uh, the, 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 the parking issues, and it sends it sends a message that the department and the men and women that work there uh, have have value. Yeah, you know, if you've watched any of the design meetings, we lost. Okay, uh, if you watched any of the design meetings, there initially in the beginning there was a lot of talk about, wow, you're cramming a lot into this space here. Uh, it's too big. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's too much for this site. That was a lot of the feedback that the commission had given. Uh, what's the problem? And this came up during, you know, earlier discussions. Why, why not have uh, substations? You know, why not have systems or uh, stations set up throughout the community? Why does it have to be one big place downtown from a law enforcement response standpoint? Well, in, in truth, because, in, in spite of what we like to think sometimes the city isn't that big uh -huh. and and we could certainly do uh, you know open some storefronts uh you know and i mean there's some ways to do that but you do need for a city this size you need a you need a police building you need a you need a police headquarters you can you can set up your satellite operations but but generally speaking if you look at cities that have really separate precincts they're much bigger than we are geographically yeah. Okay. Uh, a couple, two more questions and then, I'll, you know, we'll wrap up here, but let me, let me ask you about you. Okay. Um, you, you came to Santa Barbara, you were going to do a, what was it? One year sort of uh, term maximum here to fill in. And uh, what, what is your status? Um, are you sticking around now that we've got a, a new mayor and, you know, the city administrator position is still in transition. Uh, 
uh, how long can people be fortunate enough to have uh, Chief Malekian in charge? <laughs> I, I think I think realistically, you know, hopefully next May or June at the outside. Mm -hmm. the, the The process that this, to find the new police chief had started in July. Uh, I'll give you some numbers, though, that sort of reflect the times we live in. When in 2016, when uh, Chief Lenau uh, uh, was hired, the initial application period attracted 97 applicants. Mm. This one attracted 26 applicants, and six of them didn't meet minimum qualifications. Oh. <laughs> so, so that they started in July, and there, there were some good applicants. Don't get me wrong. It's just that the numbers are. But they started in July, but then in August, when, when Paul Casey announced he was going to retire, uh, they suspended because ostensibly, you know, the city administrator should be able to select their own police chief. That's, and I had said, I originally thought I would be done with this by about Labor Day, uh, somewhere in there. And I said, well, I'll stay till the end of the year because there's, I, I am a retiree under the PERS system, and there's a cap for that, uh, 960 hours. Um, you know, the joke around the, the station is that, you know, we, all the hourly employees were laid off uh, at the beginning of COVID. There's only one hourly employee in the police department right now. And that's me. That's, you know, that's how, that's how this works. Um, but the, the governor's, uh, when he extended the COVID emergency order, part of that order also lifted the 960 hour cap. Oh. Um, so I can stay longer and I will stay till they get a, a, a new police chief. But I, I, I've told them I really need to be done by, uh, I'd like to be done by April 1st and I, I must be done by July 1st. I'm, I'm, uh, if I get, if I get tempted about staying longer, I just pull out my driver's license and look at the year of my birth and <laughs> all good. So, so when does the uh, recruitment begin again? I, my my hope is that it will start up again in in January. I think the new after the after the, the new council is sworn in, uh, and um, I think they'll make some decisions about the city administrator. But I'm hopeful that they restart the police chief search at the same time. Yeah, and will one of the requirements be uh, you have to live in the city of Santa Barbara? Do you think that's a factor to have a chief who's uh, embedded in the community? I think it's nice to have. I think it's very nice to have. I mean, I think I think it makes a huge difference. Uh, I, I believe the current requirement, at least under under Paul Casey's leadership, was he had to live in the South County. Mm -hmm. He lived somewhere between Carpinteria and Gaviota, just so that you were in striking distance. Whether they will be, whether that's feasible or not, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And uh, as we wrap up here, I just want to kind of go back to where we started and uh, just give you kind of an opportunity to talk a little bit about, you know, if anybody on the Community Formation Commission is watching, listening, uh, you know, what, what do you want to say in terms of your perspective as a longtime law enforcement officer, as far as this process goes, and eventually where we're headed? I think... What I would like people to realize, whether they're on the Formation Commission or not, is that we have some incredible men and women who work here. And, and, and it's easy to say that, but you, all you have to do is look at their actions, to look at the, uh, at, the, at the situations that get resolved, at the way that they treat people and talk to people and handle people. Uh, and so as we talk about system change, don't denigrate the men and women who work here. 
Second of all, is that we should design a system that will work for Santa Barbara, that reflects the department that we have, the city we have, that provides the community with a place to bring their concerns and complaints if they think we haven't handled something right. Um, but it's not, uh, this is not Seattle, this is not Minneapolis, this is not a huge you know, urban center that requires uh, uh, you know, an overwhelming, uh, almost a separate department. Um, and lastly, and, and maybe most importantly, is that, that I personally and this department in general are absolutely open to civilian oversight. And, and it, it, I have no concerns about it. I think it's actually good for the department. It's good for the community. Uh, and I hope that we can, uh, we can arrive at it together. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference between system and board? The terminology that city attorney has been using has been civilian review system. We hear it in the vernacular of civilian review boards. Is there a difference? If there is, I don't know what it, I don't know what they would be referring to. It's been called, you know, a half a dozen things around the country, and uh, uh, I don't. I don't. It really is is just a question of what they do. Okay. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk about these issues and, uh, you know, lend your knowledge and uh, your understanding and your perspective to this, these very complicated issues that we're all having to reconcile with in, in 2021. And, you know, you balanced getting the law enforcement side out there, but also acknowledging the very real uh, concerns and issues that people have about, um, you know, law enforcement in 2021. So thank you. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. All right. Take care, Barney. You as well.